Welcome to Inside Muskegon, the podcast featuring Jason Kaisecki. Now, Inside Muskegon. Welcome to Inside Muskegon. This is episode number 10. I'm Jason Paisecki. The Inside Muskegon podcast is a weekly show featuring interviews with community leaders and comments from everyday people from Muskegon, Michigan. The goal of the podcast is to engage Muskegonites in a dialogue about the issues that affect our everyday lives. This week's show features an interview with Dave Alexander, a commentary on the interview, listener feedback, and information on contacting Inside Muskegon. Well, this was certainly a momentous week for the podcast. First off, we're celebrating our 10th episode here, so that is quite an accomplishment that I am proud of. And also, we did an interview with Rebecca McCroskey on her Wavelength show on MTech 106.1 FM. It was a lot of fun getting together with her and talking about the podcast and getting the word out there. And if you happen to miss the interview, we put it up in the press section on InsideMuskegon.com, so check it out if you haven't had a chance to do so yet. And then last but certainly not least, we did our first live recording for the podcast, and that was at the Bayside Beanery in Lakeside. It was a good time doing that also, and without further ado, we're going to move on to that interview. Our interview this week is with Dave Alexander, the business editor at the Muskegon Chronicle, live from Bayside Beanery. We're here at Bayside Beanery in Lakeside. I am talking today with Dave Alexander, the business editor at the Muskegon Chronicle. Thank you for taking the time out with Inside Muskegon today. Good to be here, and um, I'm glad we're able to do this uh, from Bayside. Uh, this is a coffee shop that I've gotten to know and uh, enjoy. I live on the west side of Muskegon, so you find me here often. Well, it's the uh, first live remote for the podcast, so you've taken it up to the next level. Hey, we're, go- we're going places with this thing. <laughs> Well, we start out uh, by asking you how you came to work at the Muskegon Chronicle. Well, it's been a while. Um, I like to say I'm too young to be anywhere for 25 years, but come uh, May, I will be at the uh, Chronicle for 25 years. Came here in 1981 uh, from Central Michigan University. Uh, chip Uwaz, fire up it. chips, there you go. Um, and uh, was the uh, editor of CM Life, uh, the college newspaper. Got my uh, beginnings in uh, journalism back in Jackson, uh, my hometown. Worked for a sister paper, a uh, sister booth paper of the Muskegon Chronicle, the Jackson Citizen Patriot. I was a sports writer and a news intern for them for a couple of years while I was going to Jackson Community College. And um, I knew in uh, my college career that I wanted to get into Booth, which is the eight outstate papers that uh, is led by the Grand Pitts Press and obviously also includes the Muskegon Chronicle. But I also knew that I wanted to work for a guy named George Arwadi. And at the time, he was at the Saginaw News, which is another one of our papers. And he was doing some things with urban uh, reporting, economic development reporting that was really inspiring. And uh, just before I graduated in May of 81, I think George came over here in December of uh, 1980, he came to Muskegon. So that became the first paper that I wanted to apply to. And luckily, they had an opening right about the time that I graduated and was very fortunate to get here and have been here ever since. In 81, when I arrived at the Chronicle, I was the uh, general assignment reporter covering the southern part of uh, our circulation area. I covered Norton Shores, Roosevelt Park, Fruitport, and Ravana. 
um, did cops, did courts, did um, city politics and schools. And also, uh, 83 was a uh, health and hospital reporter, but really got into what I loved, which was politics. My degrees in journalism and political science. I became the chief political reporter and covered county government through the 80s. And then in 89, went down, um, tried some management stuff as the uh, um, um, bureau chief of our Grand Haven office. And uh, in 1991, became business editor, not having ever had a business class or any interest in business. But it's something I've grown to love and I've uh, grown to enjoy learning about. And uh, like people like uh, Bob Tony in terms of small business and out working with uh, these entrepreneurs in town who are uh, having a dream and, and sort of making it happen. That's as exciting as going out and doing the uh, uh, Consumers Energy or the Verizon or the Sappy Paper or uh, uh, CWC Textron stories. So uh, it's, it's always something different every day on the business beat. And we've been doing that since 1991, and I don't see myself doing anything else here in town. Well, speaking of business in Muskegon, tell us about some of the key Muskegon business locations that you're watching in 2006 and beyond. Well, uh, they say business is location, location, location. Well, there's four of them that I uh, would uh, point out that I'm going to keep my eye on as, uh, as we get into this year of uh, 06. Um, number one is right across the street from us here in Lakeside, and that's the uh, Great Lakes Dock and Material property that uh, John uh, Boldman and George Bailey have. It's the uh, portion of the property that is uh, beyond the uh, Cross Lake Ferry Dock and is beyond the Great Lakes Marina that is uh, the heart of Lakeside. And uh, at some point in time, be it this year or next, um, uh, John and George will be moving forward with plans on a multi-use uh, development for that site. It will transform what lakeside is another one very close to us i'm watching is the sappy property um, because um, as much as i credit the community leadership and the workers and the managers at sappy to try to make that thing happen the global economy is against them and at some point in time uh, we will not have a sappy paper in this town be it in five months five years i don't know what but i'm just saying um, the economy, the way it's going globally in the paper industry is against us. And for having the machinery uh, they like they do, they will not be reinvesting the kind of money that they need to. Uh, that money is going to go to China. It's going to give us a great opportunity. It's going to give us a great uh, um, work project in trying to transform a very big piece of property on Muskegon Waterfront into something other than industrial. And how the community handles that is going to be very key as to how quickly they can get that to be done, how well and, uh, they're going to be able to cooperate and get the cooperation from South Africa, the ownership of SAPI, to make that happen. Um, is going to uh, really put the test the metal of our uh, community leadership. So the um, Sappy uh, property is one that I'll be uh, watching, and, and that whole operations as it plays out in the next year as they attempt to uh, to take uh, what little is left of their operation and, and make it viable. Uh, third, I would look at the city center project downtown. It's the old mall property. Uh, it is uh, very much. Uh, the heart, it is the heart of our community. And um, I think we should see some things happening this spring with the roads opening up on West Western Avenue and hopefully some uh, development coming along there. And the fourth one I'm going to be watching and I have been watching is what's going to happen to uh, the racetrack property. It's at the apex of the Golden Triangle, as Frank Bednarik, the former county administrator, would call it, in terms of US 31 going in one direction and I 96 going in another direction. We've seen what's happened on Harvey. Uh, in terms of the Lakes Mall region and the 
most key piece of property in that whole triangle there that would go down to Pontaluna Road would uh, be the racetrack. And it won't be a racetrack forever. I mean, the racetrack industry through casinos, through other dynamics happening in the state with the ownership of the uh, Great Lakes uh, uh, Downs um, going out to uh, Romulus and putting in a new track out there. Someday it's going to be something else, and what it becomes is going to really set the stage, I think, for a lot of the development that has already arisen on uh, the Harvey Street Corridor. In the early 1900s, Muskegon really thrived as a lumber town. Then it evolved into this manufacturing center, and now with manufacturing and the decline in the new economy, uh, what types of businesses do you think will be profitable in Muskegon's future? Uh, Muskegonary First did a very nice uh, work with the Whitaker Associates to sort of take a look at some of the uh, strategies and some of the core areas that we need to attract uh, in terms of industries uh, for the future. And I think the first thing we need to do is continue the aerospace movement. I mean, we've got Johnson Technology, you've got uh, Halmet and others that are working in, in um, sophisticated metals, and that whole aerospace industry needs to be uh, supported and sustained in the defense contracting area. Um, tourism is a bedrock, uh, food processing, uh, medical devices. Uh, we are metal um, intensive in our history. The gray iron foundries, we still have those metal guys and gals that know what they're doing in that area of technology. We need to take it to higher technologies such as medical devices. And then the two that I think are most exciting, and it's probably through the um, offices of uh, Grand Valley State University and their investments and commitments to our downtown is energy and environment. And um, energy, the one that I'm most interested in, and you'll see some reporting from me later on in the year on wind. I am really geeked on wind right now, and there's some real exciting things that can be happening not only in wind development, but the actual industry that supports the uh, wind energy uh, um, applications that are out there. And then the other is sustain sustainable environmental and that whole technological thing doing with water and clean water. And those are the Merrick Center and the Lake Michigan Center and, and those investments that Grand Valley has provided, I think, s provide us the foundation and the stepping stones to bringing in the new economy into Muskegon. You know, speaking of the new economy, what does Muskegon need to do to prosper economically? Um, there's a lot of things out there that a lot of communities are working on, um, but um, I think education is the one that is the one that not only Muskegon but Michigan really needs to work for on is workforce development. It's two pronged. Number one, we have a, a young. Uh, up-and-coming workforce that are now in our middle schools and high schools that need to be prepared for the real world, be it a four-year degree after uh, high school or um, maybe even more uh, importantly, um, a technical education beyond high school that will set them up for these types of jobs that we talked about in the sectors that may be coming into Muskegon. Uh, and then the second prong of that educational uh, uh, focus has got to be on the uh, retraining of uh, older workers, the guys from Sappy, the guys from Dana, the guys from uh, Brunswick that are losing their jobs. Those folks need to be re-energized, 
retrained and redirected so that they can become involved in and in maybe not make as much as they made at some of these high-paying uh, manufacturing uh, union uh, plants, but that can provide a good, sustainable um, quality of life for them and their families. So that's the main one that I would go after. But there are other things that we need to do. Uh, we need to redevelop our downtown. That's underway. Um, we need to play off the natural resources that our community is. I was out the other day, uh, yesterday, to the DNR um, Natural Resources Commission toured the luge out at the winter sports complex and that is a quality of life thing and we need to support things like that they're looking for refrigeration the local community in the state's looking to come together to do that um we also um need to um consolidate governments um there's too many of them uh they're overlapping it is a um a horse and carriage type of a governmental system that is now here for the internet age and we just need to bring those into a line and um um we got to remember finally that we are part of a region this is west michigan um and it is good to see that we have hitched our wagon to that whole regionalism uh, movement that's come on through the West Michigan uh, Strategic Alliance. We are part of Holland. We are part of Grand Haven. They are a part of us. What happens there matters here. We uh, go back and forth to live and work. We go back and forth to play and recreate. And um, we all need to get on the same page as it relates to taking this region to its next level. And I think you hit the nail right on the head with the education point. And it's not even so much, you know, going to school and going to college and getting a degree, but it's people empowering themselves to learn outside of school and find something you're passionate about and really lifelong learning i mean it's 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 maybe a trite thing that the uh educators like to talk about but it's what we're doing right here i'm learning from you you're learning from me the people who are listening to this podcast are learning from the folks that you bring on and that's an ongoing process and it's very comfortable for me because that's what we do in journalism yep and the uh the internet is a great equalizer and kind of you can bridge that digital divide if you do have access to the internet. And, you know, there, there aren't any classes on podcasting. This is not anything I did in school because it didn't exist a year ago. It was just something I was interested in. So I went out there on the web, found out how to do it, talked to everybody I know, and, you know, just went ahead and did it. And, you know, I'd encourage people to do the same thing. It's um, ground up rather than top down in terms of the model of, of how we get information and, and how we use information and, and how we educate ourselves. Is there a city within Michigan or somewhere in the country that Muskegon could learn from and kind of model ourselves after as we, uh, you know, redevelop here? Boy, that would be a tough one to pick one. So let me give you a couple. Let me give you some of the best practices, I think, uh, and things that I would admire other communities for. And I'll keep that in the pretty much in the state of Michigan. Uh, Traverse City, I think, is uh, something that the Chamber is looking for, and I would agree as someone who spends a lot of time in northwest Michigan for my uh, vacations, that downtown Traverse City is is a hot spot. And it's done right, and it's done well, and it's waterfront-based, and, and that is, is, is one that I think we should be benchmarking after. Holland and Grand Haven, to a lesser extent, um, also on the downtown. Waterfront, there's only one. It's outside the state, but it's, it's, it's part of our, our Great Lakes uh, experience, and that's Chicago. No one has done waterfront better in Chicago. And there's only one aspect of that that we need to learn. Keep it public and, and keep the public access to the waterfront, something that Traverse City lost in terms of the picket row of uh, condos and of hotels that are along their beautiful waterfront. 
you got to keep it public, and I think we've, we're on our way to do that. If I was looking at Milwaukee, it would be uh, urban tourism and what they do with festivals, and we're already learning from that, and the Chronicle would be reporting on that uh, aspect of, uh, of uh, summer celebration and things going on down there in, in the future. Um, I'd look at Kalamazoo in terms of the new economy and what they've done with life sciences, what they've done with medical devices, and uh, through uh, both K College and Western Michigan University, and some of the technology park things that they've developed south of town are very uh, impressive in, in terms of that. And then you got to point to Ann Arbor in how you take an educated and uh, knowledge-based job and incorporate that in the fabric of a community and in the fabric of an educational uh, setting that uh, obviously has U of M as its stalwart, but has other community uh, colleges and Eastern Michigan University all intertwined in that. So if I was to take a little bit of each, I think Muskegon's got a lot to learn out there, and there's some good things happening in Michigan. Do you feel pressure with your reporting and writing to be pro-Muskegon? Some people like to try to pressure me. Um, First off, I am am probably one of uh, Muskegon's uh, biggest supporters. Um, But how does that then play out itself as a journalist? I love living here. I could have gone... Uh, anywhere Peg and I uh, have decided, um, my wife and I, that we are going to make Muskegon our home. That was a choice. Um, but now as a journalist, what can I do to make this the best place possible? And not only for myself and my family, but also for uh, my community that I've grown to love and the neighbors that we have and the friends that we've made here, and for my newspaper, because we have to live in a prosperous community if we're going to prosper as a business. So the best thing that I can do uh, and the thing that the journalist does is basically hold up a mirror to a uh, community and um, and show them uh, what is happening. And it, it's to provide an unvarnished truth. Um, and that's what the press's role has been in this democracy of ours. And it's uh, only with that truth and reality can the citizens truly make changes that are needed. And we can't force changes. We can only point out aspects of the community that are good aspects of the community that are bad so it's trying to show as best we can what the reality is and with that truth will come um, a positive force for change in in a community so am i pro muskegon yes Am I doing things that are upsetting those who are uh, promoters and boosters of this community? Yes, because we have different roles. The Chamber has a different role than the Chronicle does. But we both love this community as institutions, as as individuals. But we have different roles, and we come to the table in a different way. And it's it's through the interchange of our ideas that hopefully uh, progress can be made. How do you respond to the backlash when you write something that maybe isn't necessarily positive about the area? Well, over 24 years here um, and being in the uh, industry more than a quarter of a century as a professional, you get to get very tough skin. And uh, I know that not everyone uh, will be happy with what I write, but I rely upon an overall reputation that I have built that the Chronicle has in this community for fairness and integrity and believability. And I buttress the critics uh, with that reputation. So um, it's tough sometimes. Um, there are some things that, man, you, don't, you wish you didn't have to write, but you know to be fair. And uh, I, I report for my readers, the people who buy our Chronicle uh, for 50 cents every day, 
um, are buying the credibility and the tenacity and the hard work of the editorial staff at the Muskegon Chronicle. And uh, we are there to serve them, and we have to serve the broad community. We cannot serve a special interest. And um, sometimes that means making some tough decisions that um, cause pain in people's lives. I realize that, but um, the greater good hopefully is served at the end of the day, and you go on. How do you feel new communication mediums like podcasting will affect journalism? Uh, the the uh, catchword in journalism and, and media and um, content providing organizations today is convergence. And uh, we are seeing part of the convergence sitting at this table in our conversation. Uh, I'm a traditional print guy. You are uh, branching out into a new media called podcasting. And eventually they will be blended into one. And uh, I guess that would uh, convergence is sort of the method of uh, transferring uh, um, the information as we used to get it to the technologies that we have today. Um, but the importance remains that it is information that is credible and comes from a source that is credible. And it's only over time that you will become having credibility with your audience, whatever it is. But eventually what we're going to have is text, photographs, graphics, audio, video. It's all going to be embedded in the same broadband delivery system. And it's storytelling. Well, that's what we've done in the newspaper business since Gutenberg started us out. And um, we know how to tell stories. We know what the stories are that are important. Uh, into a community, but we as the old media need to be open to the citizen journalists out there and sort of bring them into the fold and use them as a part of what we do to provide information to a community. But at the heart and core of it, it's nothing like uh, having a room full of professionals, some with uh, more experience than I've got uh, at the Chronicle, out there in the streets every day, um, finding out what's going on and telling their readers about it. The method in which we're going to tell the story is going to change, but the process of, of, of professional reporting, editing, I think will be there as long as I'm alive. Yeah, I think that's one of the best explanations of media convergence that I've heard. And, you know, you said it exactly right. It really is storytelling and the, the method that delivers that message might change, but the story is going to stay the same and good stories are going to be good, whether they're on a podcast, newspaper, or on a website, or someone's blog. All right, final question here. You have one minute alone with a CEO of a major employer considering moving their business to Muskegon. They ask you the pros and cons of making such a move. What would you say? Well, um, there are positives and negatives to coming to Muskegon. Let me go first. comes to mind on the pro side. We have an unparalleled quality of life, first off. Uh, there are some natural assets here with our beaches, our dunes, our lakes, our woods, our rivers that are um, are the envy of um, communities not only around Michigan, upper Midwest, but around the country and the world. Uh, secondly, I would point that we are a friendly people. We are unpretentious friendly people in this community. There's no heirs in Muskegon. Uh, we are what we are. We're blue-collar roots, and I think that's a strong ethic both to our uh, a moral core and also to our work ethic. Um, we have affordable housing. Okay, your people can come here and they can um, they can get housing that is uh, some of the uh, cheapest uh, and and best quality for the price value uh, around the nation. We have strong neighborhoods with solid schools. We have water, sewer, and road infrastructure, and like I said, a great work ethic. On the other side, 
Um, we have some internal image problems, uh, and I think it's something that both uh, the Chamber and Muskegon Area First will be working on in the coming years. Um, we have some negative attitudes about ourselves that uh, come from our history, but ones that uh, maybe need to be reevaluated and looked at. We have overlapping and inefficient government and school structures that I think need to have uh, and could have an effect on, on businesses that are trying to uh, to prosper here. We have a low, lower educational level than we should have for a community our size and in the environment in which we find ourselves. Uh, some of our folks lack advanced technological skills in our workforce. Even though we have a great work ethic, we need to be open to to um, advancing our skills. And that is caused somewhat by the young brain drain. And we, we see that in a lot of communities. I think Ann Arbor even probably can sit and complain about that. But we do bring people like yourself back to town. So that is, that is all uh, maybe be working eventually in our in our favor and then the one that, that people really don't want to uh, touch upon but i think we need to to really go forward and i would tell any um, uh, employer coming in that there is a racial divide here that needs to be healed and it's something that's not just in muskegon it's in the state of michigan and it's in this nation and until we really through the new generations coming on deal with the race race issue in all of its many facets, um, we're really not going to progress like we uh, need to be. So that's sort of a little view as to what I would say pro and con. Well, thank you very much, Dave. I really uh, appreciate your insight. Glad to be here with you. I think it's pretty safe to say after that interview that Dave Alexander probably knows more about Muskegon area business than anyone. And if his business locations to watch are any indication, then 2006 is going to be a very exciting year for Muskegon businesses. Now, just because he's not 100% pro-Muskegon all the time doesn't mean that he's not passionate about the area. He's made his life here and raised his family while he's had opportunities to go elsewhere and take other jobs. And I think that's a credit to him and a credit to how he feels about the Muskegon community. One thing he said that struck a chord with me is that he enjoys working with entrepreneurs. That was part of his job that he really liked. And the podcast interview was a great example of that because it was Dave's idea to do the podcast here from Bayside Beanery. That was a business that he enjoys going to. So he thought, you know, let's get out and do the podcast from there. And I thought it turned out great. And I really thank them for the hospitality and hosting us. And hopefully we'll do more of those remote podcasts in the future. It was a lot of fun. And another thing that he said that really hit home was when he said that regardless of the medium that's delivering the message, whether it's newspapers, TV, radio, podcasts, websites, it's a story that's important. And really what people are doing, whether they're journalists or podcasters, are they're telling a story and they're storytellers. And without compelling subject matter, that it doesn't matter how the message is delivered. And with everything converging here together and being delivered, you know, in a variety of different fashions, we're kind of getting the same news from a bunch of different angles. It's really good to know that people that are using some of the traditional technology are embracing the new innovative ways of communicating like podcasts. I want to thank Dave because I really appreciate the support he's given me with this podcast and writing the feature that appeared on the front page of the Chronicle. That was huge for getting people to listen and raising awareness for Inside Muskegon and just in general for being very supportive of this venture for me. So thanks a lot, Dave. I truly appreciate it. And for more information, pick up a copy of the Muskegon Chronicle or visit MLive.com. 
I'm going to move on now to some listener feedback. I got some excellent comments over the last few weeks that I wanted to share. And the first one was from Jason, who is a 1999 graduate of Muskegon High School. He is attending Brown College in Mendota Heights, Minnesota. He heard about the podcast and he started listening. And his comment was, I recently moved out of state to Minnesota to attend college and love what you're doing. It's a great way for me to see what's happening in my hometown. I just wanted to say, keep up the good work, and I cannot wait for the next show. Well, thanks a lot, Jason. I had a lot of fun trading emails with you, and good luck with your studies, and hopefully when you graduate, you can come back to Muskegon and find a career here in your hometown. Our next comment was from Brian in Grand Rapids, and it's just great when we get comments from people, not only from Muskegon, but other people in surrounding communities and even now in other states. And what Brian says is, I think the podcasts are both informative and entertaining. As a Muskegon native and someone who likes to spend a lot of time there, it's great to hear such enthusiasm about the future of Muskegon from both you and your interviewees. The podcasts are an innovative way to keep everyone informed about what various folks in the community are thinking about and already doing to make the future brighter. We do have to be a little bit careful about what we wish for, though. Muskegon is already one of the best-kept secrets in West Michigan. Congratulations, and keep up the good work of promoting Muskegon. Well, thanks a lot, Brian. I appreciate your insight, especially being someone who was uh, raised in Muskegon and now lives in Grand Rapids and comes back here quite a bit. And I think that's a great perspective on the whole Muskegon situation. And our last comment was posted to our website after the Pat Strum interview from the Lakes Mall. And they say the Lakes Mall is another great Muskegon area resource. It has kept Muskegon on the move, provided jobs and revenue. Pat is on the money with downtown development. There needs to be a stable environment for drawing people in day after day. Many huge steps have and are taking place to do this. The target for downtown needs to be much more like a big city than a smaller one. Thank you very much for posting that comment. I really appreciate it. That's some excellent insight. And that was one of Dave's business sites to watch for 2006. I feel 2006 is really going to be a big year for downtown, and we're finally going to start to see some things happening there. So stay tuned, and we will see what transpires. That brings us to the conclusion of episode number 10 of Inside Muskegon. For more information, visit our website at InsideMuskegon.com. Inside Muskegon is produced by Jeremy Sear. For Inside Muskegon, I'm Jason Pisecki. Feedback is welcome at Jason at InsideMuskegon.com. This has been Inside Muskegon, the podcast featuring Jason Pisecki. Feedback is welcome at InsideMuskegon.com.